movies, anime, comics, video games, and pop culture. These are but mere playthings for the manliest beings in all of podcasting history, the powerful Nerdcast. Hosted by the gurus of geekdom, Corey and Christian. Join them each week to discuss all things nerd culture. Everything from Star Wars to Dragon Ball Z and everything in between. Find the powerful Nerdcast on the Rogue Intel Podcast Network at RogueIntel.com. Hi again, everyone, and anyone really, and welcome back to the Pocket Dump Podcast, PDPC for short. The program all about what we all need with us on a daily basis and why we need it. It has been a while, two months, give or take, since I got the last episode out, and while I'm not making excuses for that, I am making an apology. The interview was done with Rob, a lawyer and self-proclaimed fan of the show in late July, and editing was underway when some other stuff happened. And getting back on the horse, as it were, proved more daunting a task than I originally expected. When I pitched this show to Rogue Intel Network, it was a half-hour weekly show with an interview at the center, a preview of some new gear, a spotlight on something from Kickstarter or another small source, and some other definitions and features. I was strong out of the gate, but I tried so hard to cut my interview with Duff into a half-hour show that I felt like the whole show was rushed. Editing is a destructive process sometimes, and I don't even have the long version of that interview left to show for it. Episode 2 was with a gunsmith, and I think I got it, but there was and still is stuff that may not have anything to do directly with his carry that was still a good bit of interview. But again, I cut too hard and got in under an hour, which is important to me, because I feel that really long podcasts are too easy to get lost in, especially if there are no good stopping points. I solved my biggest problem by dividing interviews into two manageable episodes, but all of the stuff in the beginning and end of each episode was, and still is, scouted, researched, fact-checked, scripted, recorded, edited, and processed by me. Now, I'm not complaining, because there are other shows by other podcasters that work the same way, and there are other girls and boys out there who would love to have the audience I have, and love to have my spot on the Rogue Intel Network. What I learned doing the episodes this summer is that it takes about nine days to make an episode, no matter how long the episode's runtime is. So much work goes into structuring the thing and putting the groundwork together. Conversely, I'm only willing to put out an episode of the PDPC if it is right. Re-recording if I have to, editing down to the quarter of a second if I need to, leaving no noises or gaffes in the audio that you, my listeners, have then to wonder about or become distracted by. I got caught in the Bermuda Triangle between life events, being overwhelmed, and being a perfectionist. I was in doubt that I could put out perfect episodes, and so it became unnerving to sit down to edit. I freaked out. The Rogue Intel Network isn't a job or a cooperative. It is a family, working toward each other's goals. The family here on the network stood behind me, helped me dust myself off, and encouraged me to get back to work. So, let's get on with the program. Summer break over, and I, for one, need to get back into the groove. 
I love making this program for you guys, and my only pay is recognition. So email me, tweet me, hit me on Instagram with a follow or a comment or a like. Let me know if you're still listening. And tell your friends to start listening. Because if I'm going to bust my ass for you people, I want there to be a thousand of you. K-Bar isn't really in the wheelhouse for this program because they aren't all about the folding pocket gadget sector, instead focusing on bigger fixed blades. You all know what a K-Bar looks like. And while I'm a knife head, I knew that during World War II, when the K-Bar came to prominence, there were other knives being issued, including the very purpose-built X-Commando knife. Not as good for prying and digging and batoning through stuff, the Commando knife was a weapon. Perfectly built for jungle use. K-Bar is now producing a modernized version of these commando knives, and they are magnificent. But this isn't the Bug Out Bag podcast, although that gives me an idea. This is the Pocket Dump podcast, PDPC for short, and K-Bar does have an offering for us in partnership with Mike Snotty. It's called the Crisis Card. The Crisis Card is designed to save your life from inside your wallet. And to look at it, I see a tattered flag design, and I see a missed opportunity for a paint job. But the Crisis card is a cobalt blue color with a gold finish on the edges. Naturally, it's the same dimensions of your average bank card, only with some finger grooves in three sides. Call those north, west, and south. The east side, as well as a bit of the north, are sharpened edges. But not like knife edges, like claws. This should keep surface area low and allow you to, in a dire situation, scratch the hell out of somebody. Its only other use is to open letters in boxes, but I bet it will also shield the cards in your wallet from skimming. When Snotty himself was selling crisis cards out of his shop in Texas, the two-finger cutout design was inside the body of the knife. It looked a bit like a trench knife or a set of brass knuckles. Knuckle knives are illegal in most jurisdictions, so I think that that's why this change was made and these grooves are now on the outside of the body of the crisis card. This thing brings fighting with a knife down to the first rule of edged combat. The pointy end goes in the other man. Buying this seems like carrying a shuriken to fend off attackers, and it's about as deadly. While there are people who have gotten really good at hitting targets with throwing stars, in actual fact, the effective use of a ninja star or a pack of darts was closer to a smoke bomb than to a tanto. Think of throwing an empty gun at your opponent after the bullets didn't work. It probably won't do damage, but it might make him flinch and allow you to get away. Dispatching a mugger with a crisis card would take the kind of fast twitch muscle and accuracy that only comes with a lot of practice. I would just as soon get Ricky J's book, Cards as Weapons, and go gambit on my assailant as pull this out and go all Wolverine Berserker Rage on the poor kid. The wisest martial artists agree that if a boy with a sharpened screwdriver wants the money in your pocket, just give it to him. See, I don't get mugged. I am a big guy. I'm not the ideal target for an attacker. So maybe this is equipment for women, who when they get mugged will somehow be allowed to reach into their wallet. See, that's not what happens either. Women's whole purses get stolen, so I don't know when this card comes into play. Now, while K-Bar usually gets points for manufacturing in New York, this is made overseas, so that should keep the cost down. But... The MSRP on the Crisis card is $45, so it's not cheap. 
It's not easy to use, it's not multifunctional, and for possibly the first time ever, it is a pocket tool that I don't want. I just switched back to my Travax wallet, jealous of the new Duracoated finishes that they offer, and in the event of a give-me-your-wallet scenario, I'd have just as much luck slapping the urban demographic with the steel and aluminum plates that are in my hand. Do you all agree with my assessments? These previews are just my impressions, and I don't have a master's degree in, like, pocket ergonomics. But that gives me another idea. I am fine with any of you disagreeing with me, however. You can email me, matt at rogueintel.com. You can find me on Instagram, I'm Pocket Dump Podcast, and you can now tweet me at thepdpc. I want questions, I want requests, I want arguments, just not abuse. I really like the interactive elements of this program, otherwise it's just me sitting alone in a room telling my stories. Full disclosure, I just wanted to put this in here. I was targeted by a pickpocket while traveling in Vietnam, and while the man thought he saw something he wanted in my right back pocket, what he discovered was my buck vantage, which I brought because of its excellent pocket clip arrangement. The knife then tapped me in the butt, because as you may have guessed, I was wearing thin, thin fabric. It was February in Saigon, so about 100 degrees and a million percent humidity. So, the knife tapped me, and while the man was realizing that this wasn't a wallet, because that was in my front pocket, I was realizing that this guy behind me on the crowded bus thought I wasn't ready for him. The screwdriver thing I mentioned actually happened to my brother in college, but he was a 5-foot-8-inch art student. See, any criminal targeting you is going to do a quick cost-benefit analysis on you, and sometimes they get this very wrong. There's a great old story of a martial artist named Obata Toshishiro. He was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the 90s and stuff, so he was going home after a workout one night in downtown LA, and because he isn't tall or ripped, someone thought they had a good shot at taking anything they wanted from him. So, that went about as well as you'd expect. Master Obata, who is a cutting champion, seven years running in Japan, and the guy on the episode of History Channel's Fight Science segment about samurai swords, disarms the assailant, pulls him down to the ground, and applies an armbar. He then calls for help and has a bystander call the police. The police got there about 20 minutes later, expecting to take a report from a victim, not take a perpetrator to the hospital. Lesson learned, but do not try this at home. If you are not 100% sure you can win, do like I said and just give the mugger your money. I am not here to tell Rob's life story, but he's a father of two who lives and works in the Great Lakes region of New York. He was a Marine officer and part of the JAG Corps, so apparently he wanted the truth but also couldn't handle the truth. He's been caught playing some hugely elaborate Star Wars tabletop with his family, but also caught smuggling a new range bag into the basement to keep it from his wife. Rob is a fan of the show, and just like my other fans, I'm sure he's quite ready for me to get back to bringing the program into ear holes again. This interview was recorded in July before I went to the Bermuda Triangle, and I am just now about to get you the first half of it. So, Rob, are you ready for the eight basic questions? I am ready for the eight basic questions. Do you carry a gun? I do carry a gun, usually a six-hour P238. Do you carry a knife? I do carry a knife. I carry a Columbia River squid right now. Right now. Uh, do you carry a flashlight? I carry a streamlight, double A. Do you carry a multi-tool? I do. I carry a skeletal tool and have for quite a long time, actually. 
Do you carry a bag? I do. I have a bag. It's a Tom Bin, B-I-H-N, co-pilot, and I love it. What is the total weight of everything you carry? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I did not weigh everything together. What is the last thing you used? Depends on what you mean by used. I went to the range on my way home on Friday, so I used my six-hour. But if you mean for the purpose in which it was created, or for which it was created, then I used the knife last squid. What did you do with the knife? Uh, I opened up a package of hops to pour into my beer last week. Beer that you make, not beer that you were drinking, which just wasn't hoppy beer enough. Beer that I make, yes. I made oh. some beer in my driveway, and actually there were three of us out there, and everybody was looking for a way to open up their hops bags, and they kept coming to me because I'm the only one who carries a knife. Oh, <laughs> this is why your house is where that stuff gets brewed. This is why. Oh. <laughs> and, where, and why everybody's going to come to my house when the zombie apocalypse occurs. They'll all come to my house. Oh, you're, the, you're, you're also the apocalypse headquarters? I am, yes. All right. We try to avoid talking about the zombie apocalypse. I know. I noticed On that. this show. I'm um, also right, The P word. Yes, the P word. And, uh, and the T word, tactical. We try to avoid that. All right. Um, originally, accidentally, I keep making fun of Duff, my very first guest, because he said militarized, which in his oh, local dialect is what we in the in the culture of it would say tactical. Oh, it's the right. tactical one. It's all blacked out or it's, you know, non-reflective. Uh -huh. He said it's the militarized one. I was like, it's not militarized. It's just a little <laughs> bit cooler. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why he was saying that. So uh, you carry a 380 handgun. I do right now. Okay. Not always. Sometimes I carry the 45. You also have an XDS that's the single stack Springfield yes. XD in 45. Yes. Which so you, I also I love. Really? For a small 45, oh. you say that that's a really good gun. It's incredibly accurate. It's very controllable. It's comfortable to carry. It's small. Right. I've always liked single stack magazines because I have relatively small hands. So when I had to deal with the Beretta when I was in the Marine Corps, it was a challenge because of the thickness of the grip. So I really like single stack. I had no problems qualifying with it, but it, I just much prefer a single stack. Very compact, sits really flat. You can hide it almost anywhere. Mm -hmm. And how do you carry it? I usually carry it inside the waistband, mm -hmm. untucked. So I, I wear a shirt or a sweater over it, typically. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I carry on my more to my weak side than to my strong side. So in a, a cross-draw format? A little, yeah. I mean, you know, most people in appendix carry it kind of almost right in front. Mm -hmm. I carry it more over my left hip. Okay. Just more comfortable. I prefer that than on my than over my right hip. I prefer it more towards the left side. Sure. So you reach across, keep your elbows in and then right. come up that it's way. It's also easier to you know to grab whatever's covering it with that left hand. I'm not reaching across to do that. It's right there. Sure. And it keeps your right hand free. You're not you're not always kind of checking and feeling for the gun. I use my right hand a lot. I'm right-handed, so I like to keep the gun kind of away from the hand I'm using all the time and the pocket I'm going into all the time. Right, so there's no, you're not constantly showing it off or exactly. brushing against it with the inside of your wrist. I That makes sense to me. Yep. Being wrong-handed, I've found that <laughs> for mine, the 9 o'clock carry directly all over the hip, yep. uh, just really difficult in and out of vehicles. And I can only imagine, because that's right by where, like, the seatbelt buckle is. Absolutely. In your email to me, and just now mentioned the CRKT squid in kind of a sad, like, I think it's on its way out. Well, I wouldn't say it's on its way out. I really like it. But it's it's carrying it that's been a problem. I've had two just bizarre events happen in the last 
month, I'd say. You know, I usually carry it in my pocket with, you know, just a clip exposed. Two times in the last month or so, it's caught on something and come out of my pocket. Not just come out and fall on the floor, but come out and stayed clipped to the thing it caught on. Really? So like I, I was at the grocery store. I had one of those, you know, stupid little granny baskets. Sure. You know, and it's kind of like a plastic. And I guess as it came by my leg, it caught the clip and the clip just clipped itself. It literally clipped itself onto the basket and out of my pocket. And I did one of those, you know, every once in a while you, you bump your hand against and check. And I said, oh, where's my leg? <laughs> I looked down and it's attached to my oh. grocery basket. So I, I'm thinking about not going with the clip method and, you know, attaching a lanyard or something and getting it a little deeper into my pocket. There are people in the community who have a real obsession with beads. Yeah, I've, I've been following a few of those people. I don't get it yet. Well, I, d I don't get it. I don't get it when it's like a $90 titanium bead. <laughs> Right. I mean, they're gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm certainly my instinct to run to PayPal and say I want one is there. But I just, it's hard to pull the trigger for. Uh, I think just a piece of paracord with a knot on the end would do just fine. I feel the same way. Uh, <laughs> if the bead needs to be titanium and lighter, just don't carry one. I don't. <laughs> right. But I guess the idea is that if it's going to be in your pocket, so that you're even less conspicuous, so you don't have this clip on your front pocket. When you go in, you want to be able to index and grab something and, and yoink it out like you know. I think so. And they, I mean, they're gorgeous. They have all kinds of nice washes on them. Mm -hmm. And they, the craftsmanship is fantastic. Sure. So no, I'm no. definitely interested, but they're just eh, a little bit on the rich side for me. Sure. I can afford it, but I can't justify it. <laughs> <laughs> There's the, the justify is the tricky part. We've all it snuck is. stuff into the house. I, I did just the other day. Right. When our, when our <laughs> wives slash girlfriends slash whoever, hey, what's with that bag? It's like, oh, I've had that a while. <laughs> it's the Jedi mind trick. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Yeah, the tags say, are still yeah. on it. But um, I say that a lot. I say that a lot. <laughs> I've had the, well, you have had it a while. You just had to bring it in and like let the 90 days expire <laughs> That's right. before you could actually be seen with it. Uh, yeah, the, the obsession's a little weird. We were talking just earlier about the the level that maybe our maturity allows is that we can go and look at something now and leave it behind. Yeah, that's a... It's you can't a, grab a, everything. You can't. Because your drawers are already full of other stuff. It, and the basement and the car trunk and everything. Right. Else. You operate a trunk bag, you said, from September to like... Because you live on the almost the Canadian border. So like yeah. June, right? Winter yeah, stops so, in June up there? I mean, so I know you don't want to talk about the P word. I live close to the Canadian border. Just as a climate we, thing. I don't think we're being invaded by them. Yeah, I've lived without power for eight days straight mm -hmm. during the October storm we had a couple of years ago. Over the last two years, there were hundreds of cars stranded on the New York State Thruway between 48 and 72 hours with no help. Mm -hmm. So since I've been driving up here from my college days, I keep a duffel bag in my car with, you know, a heavy duty pair of winter boots, extra socks, fleece, a big parka, a couple of energy bars, some fresh water, usually some type of fire starter or candle to keep, you know, to warm up the car. Just so I have gear with me, just in case I've spent enough long nights at rest areas to know it's smart to have the stuff in the car. So right. you have in your life been in a position where you go, I'm pulling over. That's it for today. I can't drive. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and in my own house, I, I mean, literally without power for eight days 
it was interesting, but you know, we have a lot of gas appliances, so that wasn't a problem. We have three fireplaces. That wasn't a problem. Uh, my gas grill runs off natural gas. That's not a problem. So, but that was, was a conscious choice that you made. Like you got a natural gas grill. Oh, you're like, Absolutely. this could go sideways. Yep. And even the stove. And we, I didn't have a generator at the time that happened. I do now. <laughs> um, and I've used it a few times, but not for the eight day stretch was a challenge. Getting gas was tough. Mm-hmm. Gas cans were gone. You know, the get, local gas stations were all sold out. I drove. I had to drive about 35 miles to get gasoline, and I had to drive to Rochester to get a generator because there were no generators in our area when that storm hit. Right. Well, yeah, that was that. Like, everyone goes, well, I need a generator when the storm hit. So they were just – Exactly. I think there's a children's story that showed to be ready before stuff happens, right? You're right. Yeah. Something about grasshoppers and ants. You're a car commuter. I'm a car commuter. With a trunk bag. With a trunk bag. And a gasoline-powered vehicle. Correct. How do you not carry keys? You, in your email to oh. me, said you carry no keys at all. Yes, this is a source of pride, as well as my the few things I carry in my wallet. So I... <laughs> proud of how skinny your wallet is, yeah. Oh, my, my wallet is, is not almost non-existent. So I used to carry keys on a carabiner for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And now, this is not a result of cramming, by the way. This was a natural process. Before I knew that you did the podcast. Right. Sure it was. My car has a keypad. Oh, okay. And it's not the kind that you need a fob in your pocket for. It's just, you know, an entry keypad. So I keep my car key in my car. I never mm-hmm. carry it. My office has a keypad. Um, my home is either not locked because I'm entering through the garage or I have places I keep keys in my garage. I do not carry a key ring at all anymore and I love it. Nice. It's awesome. There's nothing better than getting out of your car, tossing the key in the center console, closing the door, hitting the lock button, and you're off. Right. No no jingling, no weight, keeps it out of my pocket, keeps my pockets free. Well, I think it's really handy if you carry a gun, not to carry a bunch of keys. Well, that's a weird choice to make. That's just one <laughs> less thing to get in the way. Right. Just, yeah, just being you know? unencumbered, being... Uh, oh, yeah, and that's not, the, that's not the reason I did it. It's the one less thing to keep track. I'm the kind of guy that keeps track of stuff. Like periodically through the day, I tap my back pocket to see if my wallet's there, right? Oh, your and wallet's my, in your back pocket. Yes, yeah, so my back pocket wallet. No wonder it's got to be flat. And it's really tiny. Yeah, I don't like sitting on anything. Right. Your wallet is actually the insert from an old wallet. You like it's cut in- something free or, or like so, you committed you know some s- surgery? <laughs> some wallets have like an ID holder insert. Yeah, the little uh, clear plastic bi- Booklet. It's a little bifold clear plastic booklet. That's my. That's it's leather. It's leather backed and clear. You know, leather on the outside, okay. clear on the inside. But it is the insert of an old wallet. It basically just it opens up. It's it's the size of two credit cards sitting side by side, mm-hmm. and then you just fold it in half. Any cash in there? No cash. I keep my cash in my front left. Oh, pocket. you keep your cash outside the wallet. Yes. Is that on a money clip or just rolled up? No, I've always keep my cash outside. I have always. Forever get my cash out of my wallet, in my front left pocket, not on a clip. Where have you? Where did you learn that behavior? I don't know. That's a good question. Got robbed just, one time? No, no, no. I just I, I worked in Manhattan when I was a kid. Maybe I, maybe I just got into the habit of somebody. Somebody told you that. Like yeah, if they, somebody, if they some grab your wallet, you won't, don't want them to have your cash. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Ages ago, yeah. And I just, I never carry cash in my wallet. I almost okay. never have. Right. 
I learned from a different safety tip to prevent pickpocketing, carry your wallet in your front pocket. Mm -hmm. And I just, people with that hump, you've seen them, just a oh, hump yeah. in the back of their, <laughs> and, oh my goodness. Let, the uh, wallet's more round than flat. <laughs> right. A, a cylinder almost. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you also carry a notebook though. I do carry it in my bag, not on Okay. My that's in, in my the co-pilot. In the co-pilot. Which is about a 10 liter bag. So it's not a full size briefcase. Oh no, it's, it's very small. It, and that's why I like it. It borders on man purse. I'm not going to lie. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. It, when you do see you it. Do you shoulder carry, it? Oh, I've seen it. I've, I've watched the videos and looked at the picture. You emailed me about it. It's magnificent, but it's. I actually, I went to that bag to avoid. I have used a lot of, you know, not like uh, shoulder crossbody messenger. Sli I, yeah, a I satchel. I have, uh, I have European carry-all. Yeah. I have a ton of them in my basement. I like mm -hmm. them, but I can't. I went to this specifically to avoid that. Okay. Cause it's, it's got enough of a briefcase shape to it. And I usually carry it by the handle. It's soft-sided, and yours is the uh, 1050 nylon? Yes, but it's soft-sided, but it's got a very – it's got a lot of internal – I think it's the internal stitching that gives it a lot of structure. Right. So it's not crushable at all. It maintains its shape. Mm -hmm. You know, even if, even if you wear it over a shoulder, it it looks like a briefcase. It sure. always kind of maintains that shape. It doesn't, it doesn't contour to your body. Well, you're an attorney, so it is – completely acceptable for you to need like stuff like a briefcase for yeah, a legal I mean, brief but, that's what that's for but i would not bring this to court it's too small okay you have and one of those for that i have a separate bag and i will not this bag is my edc bag so mm -hmm. there's I another not, there's another flashlight in there right in addition to some other stuff yes and 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 sometimes the gun is in it so i will okay. not take I don't take this briefcase to court or on airplanes because I know a lot of people who use the same bag for both mm -hmm. and then, you know, end up being stopped by TSA oh, because like there's gunpowder residue and stuff like that. Or there's a round. Oh. They, they leave, a, you know, a round is, is in the bag and it's. That's great. Being the one person in 20 who gets caught. Yeah. Um, you don't want to, look, you don't want to use your range bag as your carry on next time you, you take an airplane flight. Right. I've had. I've had way too many friends have that problem, and, you know, and an extra round is sitting in the bottom of the bag. Mm -hmm. They pack it for the weekend and they're going through TSA and they get caught. So I, I, that bag is kind of dedicated to and from work, Okay, you know, walking around downtown, going other places, but doesn't go to court, doesn't go on airplanes. Okay. You're really happy with your Streamlight ProTac? And yeah, it's a I love it. It's a double A. One double A? Two double A. Two double A is on the one that you actually carry. Okay. And that's in your in your pants or on a loop? No, that stays in the bag. That stays in the bag. And is yes. there a second light that you listed as well? There is a second light. Is that also uh, in the bag? That is also in the bag. That is your Coast HR1. Correct. It's really tiny and mm -hmm. it's just, it's kind of sitting in, you know, there are, there are kind of three pockets on the front of this bag and mm -hmm. it's in one of those pockets it has little pen holders kind of okay. loops and it's stuck to one of those it's it's so small mm -hmm. and so discreet it's just always there i carry a keyring mounted light my phoenix e05 which is one triple a uh my slightly larger light and basically the largest light i need 
is made by the German company Lead Lenser that Coast was bringing in. Your light, I've looked at it, is a co- is a Lead Lenser flashlight branded with Coast's name. Yes, yes. Okay. There was a weird legal wrangle that I followed because I was into these lights where Leatherman wanted to do that instead. They were like, these lights are great. We want to do them. They, But Coast had this arrangement. So Leatherman just bought the German company. So uh-huh. if you go to Leatherman, uh, their website, it also has the LED lenser tab. Those lights are the same stuff because it's that push button focus, which I love. So you yeah. go from flood yeah. to spot one handed. Yeah. The one I carry, and it used to be my on my duty belt, is two double A's. It's called the P6, and it's, you know, tail cap button and really nice. It doesn't look yeah, all I mean. I like the end button a lot. Yeah, that's great to be able to. Uh, and I, I got good at strobing it. It doesn't have a strobe button, but just right. by wiggling my thumb, I got good at blinding people with it. Because uh, <laughs> just messing up someone's depth perception helps a lot. We're going to get into, because something you put on the email is you have very specific, your own set of rules about where you carry the gun. And it relates to the bag. You have the bag that the gun's allowed in and other bags that it's not. Just Correct. to prevent that contamination. That's one of the rules. Yes. That's one of the rules. That bag isn't your travel bag. Everything comes out of that because that is a gun friendly bag. So your rules are what? How do your, how do your rules differ than the, the laws around you? So, you know, I won't carry a gun, for example, if I'm going to drink. I don't carry my gun into a bar and I won't carry it if I know I'm going to go out to dinner and have any alcohol. It's just a zero tolerance rule I have. I never want to be in a situation or I have to use a gun and I've had a drink mm-hmm. or any alcohol. No matter I how also, right you feel you are at the end of it, if you get breathalyzed at the end of a shooting, that's something that could. Yeah. You. I mean, it's just, look, it's, it's, and it's part of, you know, I'm licensed by the state in my profession. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with drinking and driving. It's the same kind of idea. If, it doesn't matter if it was, you know, a kid dressed in black clothes crossing the street and it was all his fault and not my fault. The headline of the newspaper is going to say, you know, suburban lawyer after drinking, you know, ran over teenage kid. That's what it's going to say. So I don't drink and mix my gun. I don't drink and mix my driving. As much as you are uniquely qualified to defend yourself in court, no matter what happens, you'd rather avoid that mess. Exactly. I may have to defend myself anyway, but I don't want... It's like a witch hunt up here right now. It's very, it's a very difficult environment, and any chance to shame anyone who's successful or licensed—teachers, doctors, lawyers—you know, with the newspapers all over it. So I just avoid that situation uh, as best I can, and I just think it's smart. I mean, your judgment gets impaired when you drink, and I don't want to have to have a gun on me. And if I had, you know, two sixteen-ounce beers. And have somebody shove me in a bar. I'm not. I'm not interested in even having that choice. Mm-hmm. So I don't carry it. I also won't carry my gun into anybody else's home without their permission. And I usually don't seek the permission because nobody knows when I carry a gun. I don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Typically, my wife doesn't even know if I'm carrying it or not. And my friends, I've been out with friends, and they they don't know I have it on me. So I don't ask permission. So generally, if I'm going over somebody's home. For some reason, I would not carry it. When you're going to be somebody's guest. Exactly. That's interesting. Because I think, I think they're entitled to know if I have it with me. Sure. So I just avoid that circumstance altogether. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, you're kind of a closet gun freak. 
not a lot of you are, like you have a whole social group that doesn't you don't really talk to about guns. Correct. They know I have them, but they don't know how often any, or how many. Sure. And they've never asked and I've never disclosed it. So you are uh, you're an attorney. You've mentioned that. I am going to super narc you out. Uh, you're not a criminal defense guy, but I'm sure you follow the gun laws. Yes. Well, I started I started my career in criminal defense work when I was in the Marine Corps. Oh, right. But I don't do it anymore. Right. Um, and I was also a prosecutor, so I've done both. Okay. Arguing is a, is a pastime of yours. That's right. <laughs> Arguing is a hobby and a profession. Right. <laughs> so a lot of the people who listen to this show are outspoken one way or the other. Usually it's pro-gun, uh, but there are some anti-gun folk um, who still are EDC community people. Your state is New York. When the SAFE Act came in a couple of years ago. Uh don't get me started. <laughs> okay, so you're you're kind of blue state, kind of a socialist in a in a lot of ways, but then that stuff happens, and and you look at it and go, this this is just unreasonably silly, right? But do you look at it as, as just a litigator going, this law doesn't make any sense, or does it offend your sense of liberty? It offended my sense of liberty, but also my I was offended, you know, as a not a not just as a lawyer, but I'm kind of a process guy, and the process, you know, it was was used, that law was passed under an emergency measure where the governor announces it under this emergency measure and the legislature has 24 hours to read it and vote. Most of them did not read it and they voted for it. So there was no emergency. Nothing about the law required it to have that designation. So the use of that process was offensive to me. If you want to have a discussion about whether or not the provisions that are being enacted are necessary, let's have the discussion. But don't sneak it in in, in the dead of night. That's what offended me about it. The content of it was also offensive to me, or some of it. Um, but welcome welcome to New York. <laughs> uh, welcome to a lot of states is the thing. A good deal of the Northeast. Here where I am in Maryland, there were some weapons that had nothing to do with anything that were banned by name. Yeah, we banned features. Up here, right. You know. You're a litigator, but... Uh, uh, so you deal with lawsuits and stuff like that? Yes, I defend companies who are sued because of alleged defects in their product. That your whole practice comes from that? Pretty much right now, yeah. Almost exclusively. See, defects are not what gun manufacturers get sued over. But something Correct. I have mentioned recently, and you like, you like single stacks, so you'll love this one. There is a uh, – Remington has a single stack pistol that came out. People bought this thing and received them. It was the Remington R51. Okay. It's a single stack, nine millimeter pocket handgun. Really nice, really cool lines on it. Looks very uh, modern PPS style thing. Um, yes, I'm looking it up right now. Sure. I see it. However, uh, the one that someone I know had their hands on. It's a little ugly, but it's I, all right. I, I dug those lines, but maybe it's a little ugly. Well, it's very... Uh it's got a very modern look to it, right. and I'm a, I'm a 1911 guy. So. Okay. That is the gun that uh, – it's the only gun that my guest, Chris, bought and never fired. Because just wow. in the, like, let me load and si – it nope, it's out of battery. And then there are reports yeah. of it firing out of battery and all this other stuff. So we sent it back for repair. Some months later, he got an email said, you can wait for us to figure the gun out, or we will send you – you'll love this. Oh, awesome. A Remington R1 1911. <laughs> which has a significant <laughs> exactly which has a significantly larger MSRP and it'll come with a box with a couple of extra mags to just be off the waiting list so we can melt this thing down and forget this ever happened. 
But somehow that I, got to the public, which scares uh, me. And so if Remington had called you because these things are blowing people's hands up, you're like, I don't know. Oh, I, I would take them. I would happily take their business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to win, but like, sure. Yeah, most of the gun manufacturers are not. You know, this, the lawsuits there are usually not as a result of a defect, but as a result of putting a dangerous product out in the stream of commerce. It's it's a little but different theory. Is that but kind of an, they pretty much have been shut down. That's kind of an advocacy lawsuit, right? They're trying to yes, sue gun manufacturers out of business Correct. because they don't like Correct. guns. These aren't people who have personally been hurt by them. Yeah, and that's basically been shut down by the court system at this point. You were talking about how it's safe it has to be, and your wife doesn't really see it. So it's not a nightstand gun. When your gun comes home, where does it go? Uh, I have two safes in my house. Mm-hmm. One is upstairs uh, in the sleeping quarters, and one is uh, downstairs in the basement. Okay. So the carry guns are upstairs in a safe. Okay. So uh, first or second thing you do when you get home, come yeah. in through the garage because uh, your push button gets you in there, no keys. Exactly. Go upstairs, yeah. drop the gun in the safe. Or do you just keep it Correct. like on your person – Walking around the house. No, I I usually put it in the safe. Okay. Um, I keep the mag loaded mm-hmm. usually, um, but I take it out of the guns well and I put it in the safe. Okay. Uh, chamber? No, right? You clear the chamber? Snap that little bugger back in there? I, I actually see. No, this goes back to safety. Mm-hmm. So I don't carry around in the chamber. Really? Yes. I know this would be a great controversial thing okay. to talk about. In the this same is way again that I- where. I vary with a lot of other people. I am not interested in a quick unholster or reholster. That I know there's an obsession with that whole thing. I don't. I don't believe in it. I mean, I don't understand why people are concerned about reholstering a defense gun. I mean, we're not police officers, most of us. Mm-hmm. So, if God forbid I ever have to use a firearm. I'm not going to be reholstering it. I'm going to be kneeling down, ejecting the magazine, clearing the gun, putting it on the ground with my hands behind my back, or behind my head. Uh, I'm not going to reholster. Because until the police have arrived to secure that area, I'm in charge of that area. Right. And then when they they get there, I don't want to hide my gun. (laughs) I mean, I'm the kind of guy, I'm the kind of guy who learned, you know, early on when I was a kid, when I get pulled over for a speeding ticket, I sit there with both hands on the steering wheel until the police officer tells me to do mm-hmm. something else. Palms up. It's just is, is, palms up. Yeah, palms up. I was just talking to somebody about that last night. Uh, they thought that my knife, my um, Spyderco that I carry, they were like, oh, my God, that thing's too big. That's got to be illegal. And I was like, first of all, no, it isn't because I looked that up and I wouldn't carry one that was illegal in the area that I was in because I don't want to lose right. it because I spent a lot of money for this thing. Um, a lot of knife money anyway. And then secondly – I could get pulled over for doing something wrong and not get ticketed. Because if you just make the cop's life a little better. Absolutely. Statistically, the most dangerous thing a cop can do is pull someone over at night. Absolutely. So everything I can do, dome light on, window down, engine off, keys on the dashboard. He knows I'm not running. He knows I'm not hiding anything. And when he goes license exactly. and registration, you go, my wallet is I in. say, it's over here. Can I reach right. for it? That's exactly right. right. Your wallet is in your back right pocket. You say, I'm going to reach back for my wallet right now. Cool. Yeah. And like get permission for everything you do. And he goes, right. The registration's in the glove box. I'm going to go reach go for that now. Or- right. Because these are the two right. places that guns usually are hidden. Exactly. <laughs> like, so these are, once that's over, then it's like time for jokes. You know, now we can like exactly. relax. 
oh man, that's a new stop sign. Oh my God, he dropped it from a 40 to a 30, something like that. And he goes, don't screw up again. Thank you very much. And you're gone. Exactly. I'm really good at that. I am also. Have you been uh, in a traffic situation? Have you been asked if there are any guns in the car or anything like that? I have, and I was not carrying at the time. And it's a, Hmm. it's an interesting, I think that's an interesting issue with our community. What do you say? You know, you get, you got pulled over for, you know, 66 and a 55, you know, it's going to be 10 minutes. You're going to get the ticket. Maybe not (laughs) and go on your way. And you're asked if there are any weapons in the car. What do you say? Mm Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question. So what is your personal advice and what is your legal advice? Well, I'll edit out whatever you don't like. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. There's a, there's part of me that says, as we've been talking, hey, be cooperative, do the right thing. You're licensed. I've had a carry permit for over 20 years in my state. I'm not going to have any issue there. Mm-hmm. But there's the other part of me that says, it's none of your goddamn business. You pulled me over for speeding. Give me the ticket and I'll go on my own way. So <laughs> It's a tough, it's a tough line. My gut instinct is if I was asked a question and I had it, I would probably say I do have it. It's in my, you know, it's in my waistband, my permits over here. You know, I would probably at, in the moment, I think I'd probably disclose that I had it, but mm-hmm. it's a tough, but call that's not I understand, part. I understand why people feel that they don't need to, but that's not part of the, like, that's not part of getting a carry permit is when asked, you must volunteer this information. That's not a condition of having a carry permit. I don't recall it being a condition Mm -hmm. or in the law anywhere, no. Mm -hmm. But that is the advice generally that you're given. Right. I mean, the the advice, and I've taken two or three classes over the years, and the advice is generally almost what I just gave. You probably should. It's probably the smart thing. Do you have to? Eh, probably not. Uh, well, there are states with, you know, completely different sets of rules. There's constitutional carry states and open carry yep. states and stuff like that. Um, so I've seen. Yeah, open, ca- open carry is another interesting discussion. But Well, I love making fun of the neckbeard in Texas at a Chipotle with an SKS <laughs> that has all that really cheap plastic stuff glued to it. Because yeah. it's just like you're doing it so wrong by my estimation. Like, I don't I, I would be fine look, if if. If there were, if there were, there are some places where I could see it. Look, you want to carry your handgun. You just came down from the ranch into town, and you want to have your handgun on you. Fine, but why do you have to carry an AR slung across your back? I just don't. Well, here's that. why. And I didn't like the news story that hit. Basically, hit through the internet, so it was very headline based. Like, oh, check out these idiots exercising their carry rights. You know, their open carry rights at a Chipotle with semi-automatic weapons on their back. That's Insane yeah. look. I don't want people. I don't want people to know I have a gun. If I have a well, gun, here's what, the bad guy well, or the good here's guy. what those people are doing. They disagree with you. They believe in open uh, carry do. in Texas, land of the six shooter. Open carry of a handgun is against the law, right? But open carry of your long gun is fine. Sort of like, well, then we'll just walk around like this. It was their form of protest. Like, if you yeah. don't want yeah. me to just have my six shooter, you know, my revolver on my hip because that's what makes me feel that then I'll just carry this around because this isn't against the law. Mm-hmm. So they were being sarcastic. Right. But it didn't come off that way. It came out as like, Woo-hoo! and you're like, Oh, <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I am for the armed populace, but I think I agree with you, Rob, when our, the more no one knows you have it, the better. Yeah. I don't want to, you're going to be the first target if you're, 
open carry and you, you're in a situation where you might have to use right. it. I mean, I, I don't... And the other thing, it's not the guy calmly walking <coughs> around with a weapon slung on his back that you've got to worry about. Right. That's exactly It's the right. guy in June with a trench coat. That's kind of concerning. <laughs> um, yeah. See, like Maryland versus New York gun laws are a little bit funnier. Um, it's easier to get licensed here, but carry, at least where I am, I'm in the suburbs of D.C., carry is virtually impossible. Yeah, it's like New York City, right? Uh, well, New York, D.C. itself, this is fa- just magnificent uh, because everything goes through the same federal judge. So once gun advocates knew they had a good federal, you know, a federal judge that was on their side, things got really yep. funny. So they sued over the fact that it's a straight up ban. You may not have a handgun in the federal Well, city. that was the Heller case, right? Right. I think it was. Helpful. So the federal judge said, well, no, that's unconstitutional. There has to be an allowance for handguns in D.C. There has to be. So they set one up and it was just merciless because and this sounds to a lot of people logical and to me nuts. You have to prove cause that you need the gun. We have a similar de facto system in New York. The law is not written that way, but the way it is implemented mm-hmm. And it's implemented differently by every jurisdiction across the yes. state, county by county and judge by judge. A lot of, a lot of the local applications ask for your reason or cause. And, you know, my instinct is to say, because I have a right to. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but I don't do that. I do the politically correct thing and play along and you'll get it. I mean, that's sure. just the way it is. No, by cause, they mean you need to, in order to carry a gun in D.C., to get a carry permit and lawfully own, you need to prove that your life is threatened in a daily basis. So <laughs> they basically, in your permit, want you to explain the first person that you're going to need to kill with this gun. <laughs> right. Like, well, because that guy. You have to be a stalking victim to get So in the first almost, yeah, exactly. So in the first almost year of that, Procedure, they, the DC Metro Police issued 26 permits. That is not a lot. It's not a lot. So they were sued again over, well, that's like, okay, thanks for nothing. That's ridiculous. And then that was one where that, it's because of the Constitution, it doesn't say there needs to be an active threat. If there was an active threat like that, I would call the cops. Because he's not kicking down my door, but he's definitely in the neighborhood. So maybe they can get there and they can fix it. (laughs) Number one, call the cops. And number two, have the gun. Defend yourself. Rely on yourself. (laughs) I'm still confined by the traditional idea of an hour, so I'm going to cut this interview off here where we will pick up next time. I hope it comes across what a great interview this was. I've fallen into a procedure of keeping a spare audio track window open on the computer while I edit to put in stuff that is great and or funny, but doesn't have anything to do with this show where it just doesn't fit. In addition to having another chunk of interview with Rob about as long as this one was, I have a longer section of just other stories and he and I comparing notes about other stuff and even the sound of a smoothie being made. Someday you'll all get to hear it, but right now let's move on. What's up, guys? Be sure to check out Now That I'm Older on the Rogue Intel Podcast Network. 
Me and Kenny sit down and talk about how getting older sucks, but can be awesome at the exact same time. We also look at pop culture, review a few movies, share some personal stories, and just basically poke fun at the world around us. Be sure to check out Now That I'm Older on the Rogue Intel Podcast Network. We talked a lot about some pretty technical gun things this time out, so I thought that the jargon I needed to explain was for anyone listening who doesn't know all the finer points of getting a gun to fire. Disclaimer. If no one is teaching you all of this stuff, no amount of listening to this program or going on to video services like the Full30.com or YouTube will act as a substitute for taking a class. I didn't learn about guns from my dad, and there's an increasing chance that you didn't either. But I found someone to show me as much of this stuff as I could fit into my head, because I wanted to. If the gun stuff is basic for you, I'm talking to the listeners that are less advanced than you, just wait a couple minutes and we'll catch up. If you just don't want to know it, wait a few moments and we'll be talking about something else. Rob carries in the appendix position, and I like that style as well, but I'm wrong-handed, also known as a lefty, so that's not an accurate descriptor of my version of the same thing Rob is doing. We got into it a little bit during the interview. The most traditional position to carry a pistol is on the hip. This is how the cowboys did it, and the cops and the feds do it now. The handle of the gun is right where your hand would go as you lift your arm straight up from your side. This should be the easiest way to draw your gun when time counts, and time counts whenever you need your gun, right? So, this does widen you a bit, and it could catch on things, but a lot of us do get used to it. The appendix carry, for righties, is on your front and angled in such a way to make you reach across your body and draw the gun up along your belly. A good deal of people keep their holsters as close to the center line of their body as they can during this format, just to further endanger their reproductive organs. Rob pushes the holster farther over, near his left pocket, not near his fly. This version of doing things only really works with an inside-the-waistband holster, an IWB for short. That's pretty accurate because although it does hook onto your belt, it hangs inside of your pants, inside your waistband, with just some of the handle peeking out. This slows down the grab of your gun a bit, but it doesn't scare as many people, because 9 out of 10 folks won't even notice an IWB at all. A problem with IWB that Rob experienced, and we'll get into in part two, was that when it rubs against your body like that, there's a chance, a slim chance, but a chance that you may press a button on it, like he did when he accidentally ejected the magazine. His preference of a gun that is essentially a tiny version of the iconic 1911 made it so that just once in a while, with a soft holster like he had, is that, unlike, say, the more modern Glock, which has almost no buttons on it, the magazine release button got pushed, and the magazine, which some of you might call a clip, but you'd be wrong, could come loose. There are solutions for this, like a rigid holster, and if you listen in next time, you will hear a lot more about that. All holsters cover the trigger, so don't get all scared of the gun just going off. In the case of the SIG Rob has, in order to fire a bullet, you have to pull the trigger which you can't do until you have the hammer pulled back. That's called cocking the hammer. And even with the hammer cocked, the trigger cannot be moved unless you have your hand wrapped around the grip. See, there's a switch on the back of the grip. And if your hand isn't pressed against it, the trigger won't do anything. So let's say that Rob draws the gun, wraps his hand around the grip, and cocks the hammer. Then he can pull the trigger. But 
We've missed a step anyway because Rob doesn't walk around with a bullet in the chamber. In order for a gun to fire, a bullet has to have been taken from the magazine into the gun itself. Bullets don't fire from the magazine. They only fire from a chamber. That is air quotes in battery. Guns don't fire when they are out of battery unless something is seriously wrong with them, but that is not this discussion. So, in Rob's particular case, he has to take the gun out of the holster, load it by pulling the slide back all the way and letting it go, at which point the movement of the slide, that long metal part on top of the gun, grabs a bullet and pushes it into the chamber, and also cocks the hammer. This doesn't work right if the magazine is not locked into place, which is why the mag button getting randomly pressed is a big concern, even if it is rare. After Rob has loaded his gun, he can then aim and fire, getting a good grip and squeezing the trigger. With practice, this is all very smooth, but let me stress above all that it never, ever just happens. I was hitting the keyboard really hard when I typed this out, and it is in all caps. The gun never just goes off. Rob has made a lot of intentional choices to keep the firing of this gun as deliberate and intentional as possible. There are people carrying the same design of gun on them right now, in what we all call Condition 1, also known as Cocked and Locked. The weapon is loaded with a bullet in the chamber, and the gun is cocked, which makes it ready to fire, right? Wrong. There's another safety mechanism on the John Moses Browning design called a thumb safety that, in addition to disengaging the trigger, physically locks the slide shut. You move this with your thumb, and by pushing it up, you lock the slide in its forward position and also restrict the trigger in another way. People who carry Condition 1 need to draw the gun, sweep that slide lock down, and get a good grip to allow the trigger to get pulled. With practice, this is really fast, because as long as you are right-handed, all of the moving parts I just mentioned are right where you would want them to be. That doesn't mean that it's more dangerous. Just that instead of Rob's answer of loading the gun on its way out of the holster, someone else can do this all one-handed. But it still never just goes off. Shiny this week, ironically, is not shiny. But it isn't even a maybe. This one is a must-have. And that's okay because it's cheap. So I'm not recommending, I am commanding that you go to redtailholsters.com or follow the link in the show notes at rogueintel.com. Go there and find the Keeper. It's a Kydex keyring accessory. The Keeper is a folded over and rounded piece of Kydex. Color of your choice minus Coyote. It doesn't have any other tools on it. It's a grommet and a tiny little money clip looking thing. And that's it. That's all. My motto is that all my stuff does two things, and this does only one. But no, it doesn't. It does a lot more than just one thing, but it requires just a little ingenuity. The one thing I would not do with the Keeper is slide a split ring or a snap ring onto it. If this is on your round metal key ring, that would push the key ring in your pocket sort of sideways, and that's no good. So... This is where the ingenuity comes in, and I will do it for you. Bead chain loop. 
zip tie, night eyes, S-beaner, paracord, steel cable loop slash wire keychain. Anything flexible or at least narrow. I've hung the keeper on the edge of my pocket and had a grab point for something that would have been floating around my pocket otherwise. I have mated the keeper with a Gerber MP600 using an S-beaner so that if I needed the tools that are inside the multi-tool next to the lanyard loop, I could disconnect the tool, use them, snap it back on, put it away. I also dropped that multi-tool into a bag by clipping the keeper onto the edge of one of the internal pockets. Full-size tools generally don't have clips of their own. They're pouch tools. But who wants to bring a pouch when every ounce counts? I took the 600 into the Bermuda Triangle and had no problem just dangling the admittedly heavy multi-tool inside the waistband of my board shorts. So, with some thought, the keeper can really add versatility to a lot of stuff. A bright tab on the pocket of a black bag so that you know where your flashlight is, maybe? Tried it. Like I said, minus coyote, which is not black. Inside the waistband, drop of a tool or a knife for discreet carry. Tried it. Fresh water rinsing is vital because the MP600 is not the kind of stainless that survives the ocean. Replaced the tenet clip on my own key ring. I did that, and it worked. But I liked the keeper paired with the multi-tool better, so I did switch back. Attached to a set of keys and hung in a hidden spot inside the bed of a truck while you were out camping. Did that too. But first, it was, along with that S-beaner from Night Eyes, used to keep the four-wheelers key. Four-wheeler keys, like some other outdoor things, use a big round rubber gaskety plug arrangement up at the top. That's to keep mud and dirt from getting into the ignition. But that makes the key a little bit hard to carry. Eureka, I say. Clip the keeper to that key so that no one can climb into the pickup and drive off with the quad while we're in getting lunch. Hang the key on the sun visor or on the seat belt or drop it into a bag without having to go digging for it later. All of those worked too. If I had a drawer full of these like I want in every color of Kydex that Steven at Redtail has in stock, I would have used deep sea fishing line and a good crimp to permanently attach the keeper to almost everything already. But I only have the one for testing and evaluation. I saw the keeper on Instagram. I contacted Redtail Holsters and they sent me one to take a look at. It was nice of them to do that for me, and it made me a customer for life. Now, I didn't start this program for free stuff, but it was cool to receive something. I'm repaying Redtail Holsters personally by sending them any of my work. I am additionally telling you, as the host of the Pocket Dump podcast, to go see The Keeper because they are $5 each. In lots of colors, they come four for 20 bucks. And the best way to order right now is simply email redtailholsters at gmail.com. Do any of you have a pair of slacks with only one rear pocket? Unacceptable. Button-down shirts exist with two front pockets, one pocket, no pockets. I'm wearing flat front pants right now that have a discreet pocket for a cell phone in the right leg, exactly where the tool pocket is in carpenter pants. And that's fine, except that I am left-handed. The point I'm trying to make is that I'm a creature of habit, and as such, I wish there was one arrangement of pockets that didn't change every day of the week based on what was clean. Cargos aren't carpenters, carpenters aren't blue jeans, jeans aren't slacks or chinos or khakis. Many of us try to fit our entire EDC into our pockets and not carry a bag, right? Well, 
If sometimes my phone has its own pocket on my right leg, and other times it lives in my left front pocket, that just starts to get confusing. It starts to add time, and it leads to things like the panicked self-frisk we've all done, a dropped phone, which I did to really disastrous effect recently, or worse, having to decide what to leave behind because your pockets don't fit at all. My uncle is in a flannel work shirt almost every day. Two breast pockets on his shirt for pen, pencil, paper, flip phone, stuff. Then, when it's time to go out to dinner with his wife, hi Aunt Maggie, he puts on a blue shirt, no pockets, and that leads to confusion. The phone rings, it's in his pants pocket now, and Uncle Mark reaches for his heart until he realizes that isn't where his phone is anymore. Now, I'm not advocating for pilot coveralls with just pockets and pouches everywhere, and I don't go in for the Einstein solution, having three identical suits that you can wear all week, but I'm confessing that I track clothing based on its pockets as much as anything else, and my favorite way to carry all of my stuff gets worn probably more than the stuff that looks the best. Doing anything, this program, gardening, going to the gym, spending time at the reloading bench, stamp collecting, cooking meth, all have routine in common. Once I fell out of the habit of producing the show, it was really hard to get back into that groove. Just like a runner's high or that big wide smile you get looking at all your hard cast ammo ready to go to the range, or that toothless grin of getting the just the right shade of blue in your crank... I feel good right now looking at a completed MP3 ready to be uploaded and go live with my show again. While I've been absent, have you all been listening to Prime? Duff and Company makes it up live now twice a week, and you can go to rogintel.com slash live and join in on that show as it happens. Or have you been keeping up with Lona Mori on Candid? She can't stop, won't stop speaking her version of the political truth. There is also, now that I'm older, with Shane, whose voice you heard on this very program, and Kenny, who both speak from experience, and the powerful Nerdcast, which tackles all the current pop culture stuff that distracts me from making this podcast. Like, they interviewed Frylock from Aqua Teen Hunger Force, you guys. Also, Pure Orgasmic Love, which is a show all about sex. Finally, and I mean finally, Proofed has premiered since I've been away, and that is a great deep dive into the world of books, and Alexander Cole's voice is just so dreamy. Just like an 80s pro wrestler, I can only make a comeback to thunderous applause, so I need each and every one of you to like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes, follow the Instagram feed, Pocket Dump Podcast, tweet me at thepdpc, or if you're old school, you can also email me, matt at rogintel.com, and tell me what you want to hear me go on and on and on about. What new products need a preview? How many belt pouches are allowed in polite society? Who should I get on the show to interview? My rants have to come from somewhere, so why not from you? Contact, feedback, I need it, I live on it, you will hear from me soon. <laughs>